You are listening to Veterinary Vertex, a podcast of the AVMA Journals. In this episode, we chat about the effect of ambulation following 18F fluorodeoxyglucose injection on standing positron emission tomography of the healthy equine digit with our guests, Andrea Oliver and Andrew Van Epps. Welcome to Veterinary Vertex. I'm Editor-in-Chief Lisa Fortier, and I'm joined by Associate Editor Sarah Wright. Today, we have Andrea and Andrew joining us, and thank you both so much for taking time out of your busy schedules. And Andrea, we heard you have only been at Colorado State, your first faculty position for two weeks, and you still made the time to be here with us today. So thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you. (laughs) All right, let's dive right in. Andrew, your manuscript in AJBR discusses the effect of ambulation on 18F fluorodeoxyglucose uptake in healthy horses. Can you explain to our listeners what 18F fluorodeoxyglucose is? It's quite the mouthful. Yes, so uh, we can call it um, FDG. Uh, so it's a it's a labeled glucose tracer that can be used in PET scanning, positron emission tomography. And what it does is it uh, accumulates in tissues uh, and reflects their metabolic rate and their level of perfusion. So it's a uh, pretty nice marker of um, of metabolism and function in tissues. It tends to accumulate more in tissues where there is uh, um, cell division, where there's inflammation. Um, so it's commonly used as a tracer for cancer uh, in 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 other species but uh, it's potentially useful and actually it is useful in soft tissues in musculoskeletal disease so tendons ligaments and uh, lamellae of the feet as well for looking at um, uh, active inflammation or other damage processes that's fascinating. And I mentioned this before we got started, but your manuscript did gain a lot of attention on social media, so much so that we're also featuring a little blurb from it in print Javma as well. So we're really excited that you guys chose to submit this manuscript to AJVR. So for our listeners, what were some of the important findings from the study? Well, I guess our main, what because we think this could be quite a useful marker for uh looking at the function of, of the lamella tissue rather than just structural damage. Um, we really wanted to investigate whether physiologic uh, events would alter its uptake and perhaps interfere even with our interpretation of, of changes that we see on a PET scan. And one of the things that we found in our own research over the years is that uh, ambulation, walking, um, tends to affect the blood perfusion, the microvascular perfusion of the lamellae. Uh, and it seems to be the major thing that affects the microperfusion of the lamellae. When they don't, don't walk much, it's underperfused. When they walk a lot, it, it's, uh, it's, it's perfused more highly. So I guess we were concerned as a first step in looking at this as a, as a marker of, uh, of laminitis potentially. We were wanting to, uh, look at ambulation as a factor as to whether after you inject the horse and before you scan it because there's a about a 45 minute delay after you inject them before you scan them uh, if they walk around a lot in that period of time versus not walking around at all how much will that affect uptake in the feet and 
is it to an extent where it would interfere with our diagnosis of of laminitis? And uh, I guess what we found is that there are, as as we predicted, there are um, differences. Uh, we took the same set of horses and we walked them actively after injection uh, on on one arm of the study, and on the other arm of the study, we actually cross-tied them uh, loosely in the stool. Um, and what we found was that there was a significant increase in FDG uptake in the lamellae in the horses when they walked around after injection versus not. But for the most part, it wasn't a sufficient increase to interfere with our, um, uh, with what we would normally consider the type of changes that we see with laminitis. So it was a smaller increase than, than would would be likely to interfere with that diagnosis. I think one of the most interesting things that we found was that the biggest effect of walking was in the medial quarter of the front leg. Uh, and we find that that's the area where um, horses, particularly when they're developing supporting limb laminitis, that tends to be where they get the biggest issues that are perhaps associated with low perfusion when they're not walking around enough. So. Um, when they have a fracture in the opposite limb, for instance. So, uh, you know, this has opened up kind of a, some new avenues for us, uh, and we're doing some more work looking at uh, using PET to monitor perfusion in horses uh, uh, when the perhaps when their weight bearing conditions change, when they have fractures and other and other problems. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating, Andrews. You know, I'm an orthopedic surgeon, so support limb laminitis is. You know, you think about it even before you start doing any surgery, uh, and that medial wall can certainly certainly be the bane of your existence. And I remember decades ago, Jeff Watkins presenting on a new form of pastern orthodesis that he had done, and one of his cases was this kind of a crazy horse that weaved, uh, savagely weaved, like one leg at the t- on the ground at, at a time. And of course, everybody's thinking, oh, that horse is going to break all the hardware, but the horse actually never foundered either. <laughs> so there's been this like idea of we need to keep them moving. We've known that, you know, compression on the digital cushion is important, but you guys have now have the ability to put some really strong science behind that. And I think you're going to revolutionize how we treat animals with support limb laminitis. So thank you. Yeah, well, part of the part of our aim initially, uh, Andrea and I, when we when we put this study plan together, uh, we had included um, an arm of these dynamic PET scans that we had planned to do, and we did some of them, um, but it turned out that um, it was too much to fit into this initial paper. But um, uh, there's some exciting stuff um, in those in terms of um, that, that hopefully we'll talk to you maybe uh, in a while about where we submit another paper. but. Um, uh, it's amazing when horses stand still and you inject them when they're standing still, um, the regional deficits in perfusion and metabolism in the foot are incredible and they vary widely from horse to horse. Um, but it's a real uh, eye-opener in terms of how much they do rely on walking and load cycling to get blood perfusing the all the lamellae of the feet and and the 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 sole papillae as well interestingly yeah and so much for testing hoof warmth that we'd make all the students do right (laughs) 
<laughs> and the, the amazing thing about PET scanning is it's, um, you know, it's a three-dimensional uh, image. You know, it's not a 2D thing. Uh, so you're getting a three-dimensional functional um, map of what's metabolically happening in that tissue, which, um, you know, it's really fascinating to to look at. Yeah, thank you. Andrew, we'll turn to you for a few minutes. Uh, sounds like you'll have lots of fun things to do at, uh, at Colorado State, taking away from Penn from this manuscript. But what, what originally sparked your research interest in PET scanning? Yeah, you know, so unfortunately for me, I think laminitis has been a disease that's been very close to me for one reason or another. I've had some personal horses who have who've dealt with it. And then, of course, a lot of cases that, you know, you work very, very hard on and end up losing to uh, to laminitis rather than their primary disease process. And and I think what's most frustrating about it is that, you know, once you once you notice what's going on, it's it's far too late. It's, you know, with the radiographs, it's like you're looking at the wreckage, um, you know, of what's already happened. Um, and especially now with you know, with the pet modality, just being able to see, you know, just how late the radiographs really are in representing laminitis. Uh, you know, I think it becomes really exciting that perhaps there's a way to, you know, if not catch the disease early, it, just to, to understand what's going on in that more critical period, which is, I think, some a view we've never really had before. So. Yeah, it's really fascinating. Um, and then, so that's one thing, all the personal experience you have, but what really inspired you to write this manuscript and selfishly share it with us at AJVR? Oh, gosh. I mean, I think, you know, obviously as a resident, it's, it's, you know, important for, was important for me to, to make sure I was super involved in the literature and, um, and, and getting those manuscripts out there. And, and I think, um, especially for, for this project, you know, we're, we're seeing so many additional projects down the line, you know, as we were writing this manuscript, it was already obvious, you know, you know, five more projects that can come from this. And so um, particularly for this manuscript, um, you know, getting it out there as soon as possible to to know what the protocol needs to be and make sure that that is solidified before we can do any of the other exciting things that branch off from this, um, you know, is, is with important and frankly motivational in a way um, to be able to get to more of the meat um, of, of pet in, in the lamellae. So. Yeah. Super inspiring. Uh, maybe not what was the most important finding, but what is for you, what was the most surprising finding from your manuscript? Boy. Yeah. You know, I think something that, that doesn't come across maybe in the manuscript as well is just really how easy this technique is to do. Um, you know, it sounds like it should be hard, you know, oh, a pet scan of a horse's foot, but using the, um, the, the long mile pet scanner that, that we have, which is developed for horses in a standing setting. Um, you know, it's remarkably user-friendly. Um, you know, it takes five minutes to scan a foot. If they wiggle around a little bit, it's not a big deal. The images still come up really nicely. And frankly, it takes longer to get them sedated than it does to actually acquire the images. Um, so it, for me, that was really the, the most surprising thing was just really how easy it was to do. It was, it was very friendly. So Andrea, as we mentioned, you just finished up your residency. Congratulations. And are now Thank faculty you. at Colorado. Of course. Thank you. So how would you say your advanced training helped you to prepare to write this manuscript? Yeah, you know, I, I guess I've been really lucky to be trained by some really, really busy hospitals. Um, and yet, you know, 
even in private practice where I was, it was there was still a really strong focus on evidence based practice. Um, and so, you know, even in those private practice type settings, we would have journal clubs and, um, you know, it was just a really strong emphasis on not only reading literature for the sake of the conclusion, but also reading literature for the sake of understanding if it's a good manuscript and, you know, is it is it rigorously done and is it accessible to read? You know, so when you when you are are reading it, is it is it written well? Is it something that everyone can pick up and understand what happened? Um, and so I think, you know, across both, you know, internship and residency and everything like that, um, just being exposed to that sort of literature evaluation um, was really helpful for me going into this. Yeah, I would agree. It's always important to have that really critical understanding of how to evaluate literature, especially to practice the best evidence-based medicine that we can. So really, really good advice. Thank you. This next set of questions are very important for our listeners. So first, we're going to start with the veterinarian. So Andrea, what is one piece of information the veterinarian should know before discussing this topic with the client? Yeah, so probably just that, you know, FDG pet is is honestly fairly repeatable, at least in, in our population of horses, it was and and relatively sensitive to for detecting abnormalities within the lamellae and and the fact that it's not greatly affected by conditions in the pre and post scan period, um, which is nice because it means that you don't really have to micromanage the setting uh, prior to the scan. So that's really lovely. We don't have to worry too much about, you know, how much is the horse, you know, walking around in the stall, you don't have to worry about sedation it or counting their steps, you know, to the extent of being able to diagnose laminitis, at least, um, you know, yeah, sure, it'll change it a little bit. But, um, but in general, it's, it's, it's an easy enough procedure to get through. Um, so yeah. Thank you, Andrew, anything to add for what the veterinarian should know? Uh, I would just add, uh, I think Andrea summed it up really well. I think, um, you know, this is uh, an imaging modality that's developing some um some traction particularly in orthopedics in in horses and particularly as a as a pre-race screening uh thing i think it's going to um you know we're very early days with it yet but i think it's going to open our eyes a little in terms of what's what's going on inside feet um, from a laminitis perspective and because it's relatively simple i mean it's something that can be achieved um uh, you know and with these portable systems you know, it's possible, uh, you know, a, a lot of different things are possible in terms of bringing the scanner to the patient um, to monitor the metabolic health of the foot, which, you know, we perhaps never envisaged would be possible in the past. That's so cool. I'm not even an equine clinician, like that's not my wheelhouse, but even I can appreciate how cool this sounds and how groundbreaking it may be. So. All right. And then on the other side of the relationship, Andrea, what is one piece of information the client should know about this topic? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing for clients is is more or less just understanding what pet gets you in terms of imaging rather than just being, you know, a very, you know, pretty image with a lot of color. It really truly is showing you function of the tissue rather than just structure itself, which is just so much more insight into what the tissue is doing. Um, and so, you know, it's like I said, it's it's just so much further ahead of what we see radiographically and, and frankly will be much better for assessment of, you know, how is the disease progressing? What is the effect of, of you know, therapeutics um, on that on that progress and things like that? So I think just really being able to nail down the difference between, you know, taking a static picture versus understanding what the function of the tissue is. Andrew, anything to add to that? Yeah, along the same lines, like I think, 
we, you know, with, with tendon injury or ligament injury, we use ultrasound and we can see when, you know, we can have some idea structurally of when we have healing and when the animal might be ready to resume exercise. Um, and we can monitor that, you know, with, with laminitis, we, we really are guessing, um, most of the time, but something like this that has a, that, that gives us an idea about what's functionally happening in the tissue could give us the ability to make decisions or make more informed decisions about when that tissue is quiescent and perhaps ready to be loaded again. I, you know, I think, um, these are the questions, uh, that pet might be able to answer for us and help us with, uh, not only, you know, diagnosis is, is rarely a massive challenge because it's often a clinical diagnosis. Although sometimes it is a challenge, um, you know, and pet can really help in that regard. But what it's going to help us with, I think, is monitoring, uh, what's where we are in the disease process, um, and what that tissue's doing underneath because it's so hard to image. Otherwise, it's only, you know, typically three or four millimeters in width. Um, it's a tiny amount of tissue and it's encased in a, in a hoof capsule that doesn't allow us to use a lot of traditional imaging modalities to, to effectively see it. So, uh, you know, a functional modality can help us decide where we are in the process, perhaps when we're ready to take next steps in terms of rehabilitation. And, uh, um, you know, I think that's one of the more exciting features of this. And the other thing that I'll add is that FTG is just one tracer that you can use for PET scanning. Um, Traditionally, what we use for bone is sodium fluoride. Uh, and there's a number of other metabolic traces that are very, a lot, a lot shorter half-life, faster acting, uh, that can be used. And so the sky's the limit in terms of, um, what if you had a specific process that you wanted to look for in feet, um, you can develop a tag for that. Um, and know when that's going on or when it isn't. And I think that's what's really exciting about this type of imaging. This is kind of just the first step. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating when you think about you can do something for prevention or early detection, at least, and rehab. You know, I, I think PET scanning, honestly, is going to go down with ivermectin and how it's going to revolutionize health, horse health in general for medicine clinicians, surgeons, owners. Uh, it, it's just, it's, Groundbreaking. So thank you again for sharing your information with us. Yeah. Andrea, you're clearly a superstar in the making. Colorado State's lucky to have you. Sorry, Penn. <laughs> Sorry, Cornell. <laughs> uh, I don't know about to, that. To get through everything that you're doing and your crazy enthusiasm, I can see already. Where where did your resilience, inspiration, determination, whatever you want to call it, where did it come from? You know, that's a, that's a really great question. Um, and, you know, truthfully, I think when I when I thought about this and I think about this, you know, what keeps you going every day, it's, it's probably similar to a lot of people. And that's in just, you know, sometimes I just want to see how good can we do for these patients, you know, and what can we do for the future of the horse industry? You know, how how much better can we make things? And I think that's, a, a you know, a challenge that never really has an end point. Um, and, and, you know, some days that's just working really hard on the clinic floor. But um, but other days it means just really digging in and, and getting to the bottom of some of these questions that we have in a research setting. And, you know, to me, especially in academia, I think both of these aspects are, are equally vital. But there's something really special 
uh, in research about being able to create almost a, a map, if you will, that will help guide, you know, veterinarians and, and clinicians and scientists of the future. And I think that's just really special. Yeah, I, yeah, it is. <laughs> being able to answer some questions and then more questions come up and more questions. <laughs> right. It's endless. <laughs> And then we wind up with a little bit more of a personal question. And Aunt Sarah and I love the answers to this one. Uh, we'll start with Andrew and then go to Andrea. What is the oldest or the most interesting item in your desk drawer or on your desk? Uh, I'm going to cheat a little bit. It's in my wallet. Um, it's but, okay. <laughs> uh, I carry with me an ammonite fossil that is uh, somewhere between 60 and 400 million years old. Uh, it's a fragment of an ammonite fossil that I found in Wales when I was looking for fossils with my sons. Um, but uh, I find it's a nice reminder of how insignificant we are and how our little period uh, here on on Earth as, as uh, you know, particularly even just as, as researchers um, when, uh, you know, 50 to 400 million years ago, this, this animal was, was developing. And it also, it's a good reminder of how long uh, evolution had to uh, to create these things like lamellae, which we're now marveling <laughs> over, and the sort of problems that that exist, uh, uh, you know, and just how um, you know how much time has gone into to creating um, you know life as we know it here. Yeah, you would think in the horse, the lamellae and the anatomy of the GI tract would have evolved a little bit better, but. <laughs> But we, that's why we still have jobs and research projects. <laughs> the problem is they evolved to, you know, to outrun the saber-toothed tiger. And that was that was about it. And then you know, <laughs> after after that, we're dealing with the fallout, you know. Fair. <laughs> I like to add the rabbits that list, too. <laughs> I don't know about saber-toothed tigers for them. But... <laughs> Andrea, I saw you get up to go get something. What have you got to share? Mine is just so much less profound than that, just impossibly less profound. But I have a stuffed kidney, um, a little plush kidney here that has a happy side and a sad side. And I turn it over depending on how my patient's kidneys are doing in hospital. And that just keeps me going. So. And so do people know to like keep going past your office if they see the sad side, they just like look down right. at their shoes and keep walking. <laughs> just check on the generalized azotemia of the hospital. That's awesome. <laughs> Yep. Spoken like a true internist. I don't know if it gets more <laughs> internist than that. Every internist has it, you know, with every residency, you should receive a stuffed kidney. I think that should be a standard, <laughs> standard I think, yeah. parting gift. Yeah. Right. Standard issue kidney. <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh. And just thank you both so much again for joining us today. And thank you for your contribution to AJVR too. Of course. Thank you very much. And to our listeners, you can read Andrea and Andrew's manuscripts on our journal's website. I'm Sarah Wright with Lisa Fortier. We want to thank each of you for joining us on this episode of the Veterinary Vertex podcast. We love sharing cutting-edge veterinary research with you, and we want to hear from you. Be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen to. 